Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I get the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Altus's Mike Boykin to talk about training. Guys, Mike has been in an awesome situation where he's been able to spend the last three years or so down there in Arizona in going from an intern to intern slash mentorship into an assistant position and then coaching his own group of athletes. And he starts out giving us the step-by-step. We then get into some of his aha moments and some of the best lessons that he took from his time down there in Arizona. And then we get into, you know, different things that he's seen that really carry over into how he was working with his athletes and finish off talking about how autonomy was such a big driver to the success that he had working with the athletes in Altus. Guys, this is an absolutely awesome talk. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. And okay, Mike. Thank you so much for being with us today, buddy. Absolutely, Jay. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. So listen, you've spent going on now thirty six months down there at Altus. Let, let's let's hear the story. Let's talk about let's talk about what it was like when you were heading down there back in twenty fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. yeah, time flies for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, Stu, Stu and, uh, John Godina will actually remember, remember this fondly as well. Um, I'd actually sent, uh, Stu McMillan a message on Facebook when I was first interested in coming down. Uh, he had written an article basically saying, you know, just going to conferences isn't enough. Like you need to do mentorship programs. That's how you really learn. And I, I still maintain some truth to that. Um, and, and in his article, he basically mentioned, you know, go and offer to wash the guy's car if that's what it takes. Uh, so after reading this article, uh, I messaged Stu on Facebook, basically told him, hey, would love to come down to his World Athletic Center at the time, uh, basically do a year-long internship with you guys and uh, just hang out and, you know, sort of offer to wash his car as well. Um, he, he messaged me back, sort of got the ball rolling, got in touch with John Godina. Um, and then, uh, and so this was sort of November of 2013, actually. So almost like maybe half a year or so before I ended up coming down. And, uh, and as sort of time got closer uh, to my start date in September, I messaged Stu and sort of reached out to him. Hey, just want to touch base. Do you have any recommended reading that I can, uh, can check out before I come down there? And uh, I, th- I forget what his exact message back was, but it was something to the effect of, <laughs> something to the effect of like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have a formal internship program set up. I don't remember our exchange or this email exchange. So naturally, this is like a month before I, I was trying to head down there. Uh, this freaked me out. Got in touch with John. Um, hey, John, just want to make sure I still have an internship there. And there's just, and everything worked out. Obviously, I'm, I'm, 
I, I was at Altus for three years, but uh, I remember bringing this conversation up to Stu about a year and a half into my uh, into into working at Altus, and, and he just laughed and said he didn't remember it. But then later that night, I got an email from him. Sort of, he said he had sent me back that email exchange that we had had, just laughing. He's like, "All right, I'm, I'm glad it ended up working out." So it was uh, it was maybe a, a rough start, so to speak, but it's been it's been really good since then. So came came in as an intern, and then uh, a couple months after coming on, uh, got hired and. Uh, it's been been a massive learning opportunity since then. So starting out basically as a mentorship slash internship, leading into an assistant and then an actual coaching position. Yeah, for sure. When you were coming down, what did you think you were getting into? And then how did that, as soon as you started going, deviate or even stay the course that you thought it was? Yeah, to, to be honest, I wasn't exactly sure what I was getting into. I knew, and, and that was part of my message to Stu, I knew I wanted to spend more than just a week down there. Um, at that time, I knew I knew who John Cadena was through sort of his accomplishments as a track and field athlete, uh, knew who Dan Paff was, knew who Stu was, and then knew who Andreas Bain um, was as well. And those were the, sort of the four main coaches, if you will, at the time. Um, Dustin Imdick was another coach on staff, um, as well as Nick Sherman. But those are the four guys. I, I knew their names. I knew I wanted to come down and learn from them uh, and basically just sort of pick their brains and, and help out all World Athletic Center or now Altus in any way that I could. And um, it, I just sort of intended to spend a year here, um, get as much as I could out of the opportunity, and then maybe look at grad school, maybe look at a different work experience. But um, sort of had World Athletic Center at the time as my – sort of final destination as places that I want to learn from and people that I want to learn from. Uh, and then when, when things started rolling and, and really fell in love with the company and what, what they're trying to do, um, and, and Andres and Stu asked me to stay, stay on for, for another year or more, um, got really excited and, and was, was happy to accept that opportunity. That's rad, man. So now let's take a step back. It's been three years. You, you've climbed the ladder to, to have your own guys. Um, along that way, what I could only imagine, like just on the uh, the regular, how many times people are just like, "Whoa!" Um, with the coaching staff that's that's down there. But what were some of your like, like favorite or biggest like aha moments? And what are some of the things that you are taking from some of those? I mean, like some of the best in the world, and and bringing with you. That that are maybe things that you might not have thought you would be getting out of this time. Yeah, man. Yeah. Trying to think of things that specifically stand out. I think, I think overall, and I, I just I look back. I, I basically keep a a coaching journal, if you will. Um, so when I started, it was basically just notes on things I was learning from Andreas and Dustin um, and Stu and Dan. Um, basically things they were looking for in acceleration patterns and things they were looking for in max velocity mechanics and whatnot, and just sort of training concepts and how they'd interact with their athletes. So I think it's more that when I look back at those, those notes, I'm pleasantly surprised, if you will, at, at how much I've grown and how much I've learned since then. Um, I don't know if there's just one, one or two moments that sticks out. It's more just sort of this like accumulation of knowledge over time and, um, just being exposed to different types types of training methodologies and, and different types of thought processes, and um, and just being around those guys with their their technical understanding, their their experiences has been been really good. I, maybe maybe one thing that does stand out uh, last year, so a, bit, a little bit over a year ago, 
I was fortunate to go up to U.S. Olympic trials in Eugene with a couple of the athletes in the 400 group. I was assisting Kevin Tyler. Um, and we had, we had two athletes in the 400 or 400 hurdle group that we were working with that were competing. Um, and I remember going in and thinking Dan and Andreas and Stu and Kevin had all talked about sort of these championship type of atmospheres and what we can expect in terms of uh, athletes are more sensitive to their sort of physiological and musculoskeletal state. So you'll hear an increased reporting of injuries, uh, not necessarily injuries, but sort of symptoms, if you will. Um, the nerves and the, the dialogues that happen in the 10 days leading up to that major competition is very different than the dialogue that they're having at their opening meet in the outdoor se- in the early outdoor season, maybe three or four months before that. And I remember just finishing up that, that experience at USA's and being really grateful and thankful that I'd had people like Dan and Stu and Kevin and Andreas uh, basically giving me almost what felt like a cheat sheet at the time. Like, okay, this is, this is what you're going to, this is what you're going to get from these athletes. This is what you're going to experience. And, and don't be surprised when it happens. And again, it was like you're playing a video game and there's a cheat sheet in front of you and Dan's telling you, yeah, like they're going to report that their hamstrings are tight the day before. Like, that's okay. Don't freak out. It's just normal. There's just increased tone. They're excited. Like adrenaline's all fired up. It's, it's an okay thing. So um, just felt like I'd gotten a little bit of a boost in terms of my my experiences, just being around those guys and, and even the, the internships and whatnot I had done before that. So. No, that's fantastic. So you also wear a lot of hats. And when you're dealing with those guys, you know, I, I Dan's, by this time, Dan's been on the show. He's about to be on the show, like, in two weeks. So it's, Oh, nice. Yeah. So, like, he, I mean, obviously, he's he says some things that a lot of strength coaches are going to be like, hmm. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about that. Let's, so we, we were talking off camera about the therapy end, the nutrition end, and then the strength and conditioning end. Mm-hmm. And I guess we can even talk about the athletics end because acceleration is so important, too. What are some takeaways from those guys that you worked with let, let's do this. What's one thing that you saw and you were like, yes, because, you know, you were like, I got that right. Like, that's how I've been doing it. Was there, And if there was anything that you were like, whoa, because hmm, maybe it wasn't exactly how you were doing it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or anything that stood out as like a, uh, that's really different, uh, that made you kind of look at things in, in each one of those realms, if you may, uh, with how you're dealing with your athletes now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, so, so I, had, I had a group this past year. I had seven athletes, um, basically a mixture of 400 and 400 hurdles, but a couple of the, uh, a couple of the 400 athletes will run the 200 as well. Um, and and for, maybe, for maybe people who aren't quite as accustomed, for, for a male 400 athlete, I'm talking about sort of 45 to 47 seconds um, of a pretty high-intensity effort to, to make it all the way around the track. Um, so there's a couple different things involved there in terms of energy systems and postural maintenance and stiffness qualities and whatnot. Um, and I'll, I'll go off my, my recent memory here and, and obviously that's going to be my bias, but so I, the, one of the athletes that, that sort of objectively did the best with me this past year, um, he came out of college, had run basically 46.4, which is pretty respectable time, came in. Um, was running about 20.8 in the, in the 200, which again is a, a pretty solid time. So he's got some speed qualities and abilities there. And, uh, and I just remember like having a, a debrief with him. He came in a little bit late in the year. He came in early February and talking through, you know, what have you done for training? What, what do you like doing for training? What elements are really useful for you? What do you see as not quite as useful? 
Um, and he wasn't quite, he, he felt he had been basically over volumized, if you will, throughout his career, basically doing too much cross country runs, uh, too much tempo running, et cetera, et cetera, maybe not enough speed work. Um, but he didn't have a, a sort of clear cut idea of, of what he needed to do. And that's okay. It sort of gave me some, some ground to work from. So knowing that he had run pretty well in the 400 and 200 up to this point, um, you know, you can't entirely abandon what they had done previously just because you maybe maybe have some sort of preconceived notions as to what needs to happen. Um, and just, just one example, uh, for instance, was just keeping some of the volume in his program, maybe more than, more than you would expect. But I think even more, uh, more startling for an athlete like him, I mean, this is someone who's, who's running pretty fast, like he's got some horsepower. I think the thing that ended up not necessarily surprising me, but was like, okay, we sort of got this right, was the, the lack of emphasis that we put on the weight room. Um, and that's not to say that the weight room's not important, but like if you looked at his weight training program, you'd laugh. Like you'd think I'd written down the, the weights and the sets and rep schemes of maybe like a, a sophomore sophomore girl in, in college or like a soccer player or something. I mean, he was doing like hand cleans with 45 or 50 kilos. He was trap bar deadlifting 80, maybe 90. I think he trap bar deadlifted like 100 kilos once. Um, Bulgarian split squats with 10 pounds in each hand. I mean, this is not like a, an advanced weight training plan. There's no fancy periodization model that's going behind it. There's no, uh, I, and this isn't to rag on what anyone's doing, but like there's nothing in there that would have you turning your head and being excited to watch this. But for him, and I can say this fairly confidently, is, is what he needed. He had very little background in the weight room. His general strength abilities weren't all that great. His single leg uh, sort of stability and support wasn't all that great. And he had no experience Olympic lifting. Um, when we put when we put 80 kilos on the bar for the trap bar for the first time, like that was a PB for him, if you will. Um, and so and so for him, because his his horsepower was so high and his outputs were so good on the track and um, he had the stiffness abilities to do some really quality sort of 200 reps or, or repeat 80s or, or special endurance reps. Uh, he didn't need all that much in the weight room to support the outputs that he was having on the track. And so that was okay. So if you were coaching this kid for four years, you know, maybe, maybe the weight room sort of changed. Obviously, the weight room would change a little bit over the course of those four years. And um, maybe he's increasing his strength levels and for all the reasons that, that people lift weights. But uh, initially, I... I was I was happy that we played it safer in the weight room because there, there wasn't a need to, to push harder. But on the other hand, or on the other sort of end of the spectrum, uh, one of the girls I coached this year, or the, the female that I coached this year, um, she she needs that stimulus in the weight room. Like she's not producing those outputs on the track that allow her to sort of get away with sprinting only or jumping only type of program. Like she needs additional contact. She needs additional stiffness abilities built in. She needs to be lifting heavy. Um, because that helps with the motor unit recruitment and that helps her, uh, you know, display higher outputs on the track later on. So I think it, it was just, it was understanding that even sort of in the same event, um, you get athletes that respond to very different types of training and, and just being sensitive to that and being aware of that, uh, was a, was just a massive learning opportunity this year. Like there's no, there's no cookie cutter program that works. And I mean, your listeners will be, um, they won't be shocked to hear that, but it was, it was, it was a good sort of learning opportunity for me to see that. So how did you determine or how would you determine that he didn't and she did? Yeah. Um, so I, I got it correctly with him. 
um, I, almost, and, and I'll, I'll use him as, a, as my first example, almost everything I did with him seemed to work. Um, I had a, a pretty good idea when he came in um, because he came in late in the year, I had already made some mistakes with the rest of the group that I was able to correct with him. Um, just already learning from four months of successes and failures, what, what needed to happen, what didn't need to happen. Uh, just really paying attention to his history, um, the abilities that I saw that he had on the track already. Um, I was able to, to be honest, it was a guess. Like I was able to guess correctly for him. Um, he didn't have a background in the weight room, so there was no point in me being like, okay, we're gonna do heavy triples with you at 200 kilos. Like he could have done that, but I'm not sure it would have been the right move for him. Um, but then again, there's, there's no saying that that wouldn't have worked out better. But, um, but for her, for instance, like I, I got it wrong for a couple months before we figured it out. And, um, that, I mean, that's part of the, that's part of the game. That's why I think in the college setting, people are fortunate to get athletes for four or five years, not all the time, but, uh, for, for a good chunk of strength coaches, they'll get athletes for, for, uh, for a good four years. And, uh, and it takes time to figure out what people need. And especially when you get to the level that the athletes coming to Altus are at, um, they've been doing track and field for, at the, at the very least, it's like six years. And for some of them, it's 10, 12 years. So they've got this massive training history uh, that they can reference for things that have worked and things that haven't worked. And again, for her, like I, I got it wrong for the first part of the year. Um, she needed more work in the weight room. She needed more volume on the track. Um, because again, objectively, and, and that's the nice thing about track and field, like the numbers on the track weren't coming along at the rate that they needed to come along. And, and so something had to change. So her and I sat down after the indoor season and, uh, I basically asked her like, what, what do you think we're doing wrong? Like what's, what's not working? And she had a couple of ideas and, um, she was super easy to work with and very respectful and it, it just made for a really good partnership. But again, it was, had I, had I not listened to her, had I just sort of gone, well, I, I know what I'm doing. Like I've been doing this. I, I'm, a, I'm a coach. I've been doing this for eight or 10 years or whatever it is. Like I, I know what I'm talking about. Like you just need to listen. Then we would have had, you know, even more failures the rest of the season. So um, I think it's just listening to the athletes, especially when they get to this level. I mean, like I said, they've got such a big training background um, that you, you'd be a fool not to sort of at least take into account what they've, what they've done and what, what's worked for them so far. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, earlier on in an episode, I believe it was Eric Helen talked about how we need to listen to our athletes because they're the PhDs in their sport. Yeah. You know, so when you, when you give them that autonomy, I almost wonder whether it works or it wasn't, but because they're invested in it more, it's going to. Yeah. And that, and that belief and investment in it is huge. I mean, there, there's there's always a physiological and a psychological component to everything we do, um, and uh, again I'll take my recent experiences. But in the 400, there's a there's a sort of mindset, this sort of uh, I don't know what you want to call it, mindset from the athletes that because it is such a physically demanding event, and it you know for the females it, it's going to take anywhere if they're on the super elite level, sort of 49 seconds, but for the girls working with about 54 seconds to make it around the track, uh, because those because there's so much involved from an energy system standpoint and from a conditioning standpoint and from a speed and speed endurance standpoint, uh, they need to feel like they're fast and they need to feel like they're fit. 
And you can do things that you feel like are necessary for their success, but there also needs to be an element of confidence that they have in the program and that they believe that they can step on the track and they're in a good spot to do it. And, and again, I mean, there's, there's people who exist on either side of the spectrum, right? They're the people that think it's only physiology and they're the people that think it's only psychology. Um, and, and you have to take, you have to respect the complex systems that we're working with and, and take a middle ground there. So, are there any other examples where you had with some athletes where, I mean, obviously the first one, the, the guy you're talking about, were, were a newer person in a different environment, like things just seemed to work because they worked, but where she was more involved in the actual training program itself. Do you, do you have any other examples of that with the seven you were working with? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I had, I had another kid, um, and uh, I... You know, I don't think it's that big of a deal. People maybe recognize who he is or maybe not. But he had worked with he had worked with Dan Path the two years before I'd worked with him. Um, he essentially been burnt out from the uh, the event that he was doing. Um, he was a very successful athlete in college, won a national championship, and then he had started working with me this past year because uh, he was basically changing events and wanted a, a fresh start. Um, and so, again, even though that he's even though he was training for training for a new event, it was still sort of incredibly important to look at his training history and look at his background of what he had done and what had made him successful up to that point. Because even if he hasn't specifically trained for this, for the 400 hurdles, uh, he's still done enough training accumulated in the past 14 years of his life or so uh, that he's going to be in a certain sort of, he's, he's going to express sort of, he's going to have expressed his epigenetic sort of profile in a certain way up to this point. Um, and again, just, just talking with Dan and talking with um, him and trying to figure out like, okay, what can we do that's going to make you successful? Even though this is a new event, we still need to take into account uh, what what you've done previously that has worked or hasn't worked for you. And again, like we made some positive adaptations. He was someone that didn't seem to recover quite as well from certain speed power elements. So like the density of his program when it came to acceleration and speed and speed endurance was a little bit less. Um, but even so, I think I had him uh, under underappreciated the sort of neurological or high intensity components to some of the other aspects of the training. And, and by the end of the year, we sort of figured out that that cycle or that flow or that that pattern. Uh, and we, you know, had a, had a good idea of what needed to happen last month of the season. But it's it's always just a massive experiment. And uh and, and that's why that's why coaches love having athletes for multiple years because year one you're trying to figure some things out you make a lot of mistakes maybe you unfortunately blow a few people up um, you know my group wasn't without its injuries or without its failures this season um, but I mean that being said like you're just you're just journaling and you're trying to chronicle what you've been doing so that when you when you have the same athlete the next year or when you have an athlete that looks pretty similar and you can throw these athletes in similar buckets you have an idea for what to do with them. Um, later on, later on in your career, or later on in their career, and that's that's where the experience of someone like a Dan Path um, just becomes invaluable because he's seen so many different types of athletes over the course of his career. Yeah, no, I, I could only imagine, and it's uh, it's something that would probably be like a lot, like almost like a daily, like like I'd just love to see your journal, you know, just yeah. to like like just to see what those guys did and like how many times it would, it would be like a uh whoa okay here we go you know uh, moment now you also do a bunch when it comes to the the therapy side and uh and the nutrition side out there 
So let, let's talk about how you guys handle the men and women when, when you're looking at those sort of things. Because the 400, it, that would be a different sort of event, I would think, when it would come to that. Um, I'd, I'd be exaggerating if I said I ran it in high school. I participated in it in high school. Oh, did you? Oh, so you, you understand the joy that comes with the 400. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're like, oh, you're a soccer player. You can run the four <laughs> and the eight. And I'm just like, yeah, this is a terrible idea. Um, this is miserable, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I did it anyway because I'm just stupid, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so the, the whole therapy end and the nutrition end of it with dealing with them, I, I think would be super neat to talk about. So let's hear, let's hear a little bit about what you do with that. Yeah, I, I guess slight tangent there first. I, I think I've been, I mentioned this to you beforehand, but I, I think I've been really fortunate in my career. Maybe the only thing that I've done consistently well is find mentors who are uh, doing good work for lack of a better term. Like I was really fortunate to work with guys like Art Horn and Jim Snyder um, and Eric Cressy and then obviously the, the staff over here. Um, and uh, and I, I think just learning from people like Jim, like, so if you know Jim, and he's he's obviously involved, you know Jim, you're smiling. He's obviously involved in the strength conditioning, but what he also does really well as a strength conditioning coach is communicating with his his lead coaches or his assistant coaches and saying, okay, uh, you've got this drill on the ice or you've got this practice that you want to do. Here's some of the maybe physiological data that goes with it, the heart rate responses that goes with it or uh, whatever whatever else you might be looking at, some of the GPS data. And here's the, the sort of load on the system when it comes to uh, when it comes to what you're doing on the ice, that we can have a joint program. And then Jim's also been involved with therapy. He's getting his massage therapy license, or he already has that. Um, he's really knowledgeable in nutrition. Um, and then again, working with guys like Art Horn, who Art's both an athletic trainer and a strength conditioning coach and, and wears both hats and and, uh, and and does a great job with both. So um, I think those people like that, just sort of just watching that and when I was when I was a bit younger and saying okay like this is the type of impact I want to have on the athletes I work with I don't want to just wear one hat or do one thing for them like I want to have a more global idea of what's going on and even if you don't necessarily do the therapy on the athletes because of NCAA issues or or whatever else is going on and don't feel confident in the skill sets I think it's important to at least have an idea of what what's going on in that world um, being and as Art used to say like being able to speak that language so um over, just working with people like Art and Jim, and then um, most of my sort of mentorship on that front came from Dan and Stu and, and our other therapy staff here at Altus, um, sort of learning some of the, the therapy mindset or techniques or whatever you want to refer to it as, uh, I guess put me in a position where I was able to work on work on the athletes uh, that I was coaching. And um, you, you just get a lot of additional feedback when you're doing that. So it's not necessarily wearing multiple hats and saying, okay, now I'm going to be a strength coach and now I'm going to be a track coach and now I'm going to be a therapist. It's saying, okay, and, and sorry, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm not you know, officially licensed. I'm not, I, I, I have nowhere near the skill sets necessary to be considered a, a good therapist, but it's being able to be on the track and watching your athletes move or be in the weight room and watching your athletes move and saying, okay, how can I positively impact them from a manual therapy input, or how can I possibly impact them from a more physical therapy uh, mindset? Um, and so it's it's being able to look at the totality of the program and saying, okay, where do these individual pieces fit in, and how can I just sort of push here a little bit, push there a little bit? Uh, what can I do on the table that might optimize this run? Uh, I know that they had a big session. I've talked to them. 
you know, maybe their overall mood is, is a little bit subdued. We've gone through a hard training cycle. Okay, maybe they need a little bit more sort of parasympathetic tone, if you will, and we can do some light massage after the session. And it's just, I think the more information you can collect, whether that's through their nutrition or through their the therapy that you're doing on them or through the numbers that you're seeing in the weight room, the better off or the better service you're going to be able to give them. No, that's awesome, man. And it's, uh, those are some, some pretty, pretty big time names. Those two guys are, are pretty near and dear to me when it comes to, to Jimmy and Art. Um, They're good people. They're really uh, good people. Yeah, man. Yeah, and you know you can you can add another thing that Art Horn does to to the repertoire now with going back to Boston. Um, but yeah, um, yep, superstars, man. And I, I mean, of course, I'm sure that like I don't know if we would ever want to do these on camera, but the Jim Snyder stories we could probably have for days. <laughs> uh, I love you, Jimmy. Just so you know, um, we're we're kind of kidding, not really. Um, but no. So when you when you look at all those things together. When you're looking to design these programs, as a person who's done or, well, had your hand in, mm-hmm. you know, really each aspect of it, what, are, what is some advice when you're doing all of it that you would give to strength coaches who are working with track and field kids? Because I think the one thing that really is, is the trend now, that's the wrong word, but you, okay. you'll know what I mean. Because, you know, you hear Chris Corfus talk about it. Dan talks about it. You just mentioned it. Um, maybe the weight room doesn't help them really run that much faster. You know, so what is some advice or things that strength coaches should be looking more at when it comes to dealing with this specific type of athlete? Yeah, and... I don't want people to walk away and be like, oh, Mike Boykin hates the weight room and he doesn't do anything in there. And his athletes, his male athletes just power clean 40 kilos and whatever. Like, like don't get me wrong. Like, there'll be times of the year when we're getting after it and, and guys are lifting pretty heavy and, you know, they're, they're putting in more volume and intensity and, and just overall load in the weight room because it is important. But it is still a support element. Like, if you're, you know, with the basketball guys that you work with, I mean, they can be as good as possible in every single physical quality possible that you could train or affect through your weight room stuff or your conditioning stuff. But if they still can't hit a layup or shoot three pointers or hit free throws, like it, it just doesn't matter. Um, and obviously those are more skill based things, um, sort of where track and field, especially the the sprinting relies more on those physical abilities. Uh, so again, it's not necessarily that the weight room doesn't matter. It doesn't play a role. It just plays a support role. So it's not necessarily that I'd have these, these strength coaches. And again, they're, plenty of people doing this better than I am, but uh, it's not necessarily that I'd say, okay, look into this training modality or look into this technique. It's more just like have a conversation with your, with your lead coach. Uh, like if you're, if you're a strength conditioning coach at an NCAA university, like speak the language of track and field. Um, I'm heading up to Iowa in a, in a week or so to, to be a volunteer coach there. And, and Landon Evans is a, is doing a great job with that. Like, I mean, from from I know I could be wrong. Hopefully, hopefully not. But like I don't think Landon ran ran track. Like I, I I'm trying to envision it right now. But um, <laughs> I, I don't think like Landon was running at elite level. So like he's not necessarily going to have the specific context of what it feels like to run a four hurdle race. But if he can communicate with Joey Woody, who's their lead 
or their, their director of, of track and field there and say, okay, what are you guys doing on the track today? What's that going to be like for the athletes? What can we do in the weight room? And I know the Iowa staff has those dialogues and has those conversations. Um, then he's able to design a program that makes a lot more sense in the weight room and caters towards the needs of the athletes rather than having these two separate entities and hoping they come together and, and the athletes do all right. So more than any specific training technique or modality, uh, I think it's just like have that conversation, have that dialogue, learn to speak the language of the other people involved in your global care for these athletes. And that goes more than just the lead coaches, but your athletic trainers and your therapists and your, if you have a registered uh, dietitian on staff as well, like talk to everyone involved. I mean, it's the, the better, well, I mean, we're here at the end of the day to give a quality product and quality care to the athletes that we work with. Um, and that's, that's only achieved when you have people existing on the same page and, and trying to accomplish the same things. No doubt. And I, I think that that's something that is becoming more and more the norm. Or at least I'm hoping it's becoming more and more of the norm um, as we move forward. Because I think that at the end of the day, that collaboration within the staff and now more and more people being open to collaborating with the athlete is going to end out. It's probably just going to save us a lot of headaches, to be honest, yeah. like above yeah, and beyond exactly. everything. But it's going yeah. to put out a better product, too. Exactly. Exactly. So, but no, man, listen, Mike, this is this is fantastic. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with say This is this is an awesome talk, man. And uh, and I again, I, I thank you for being so open and honest with with your time there, man. Because it's uh, there's a lot that goes on down there. And I'd, I'd love to hear even like the stories that we can't talk about now. <laughs> um, I mean, shoot, we didn't even touch on the continuing education stuff that they do down there, which is like freaking huge. Um, but yeah, man, I, I really appreciate it. And safe travels up, up North brother. We, uh, we appreciate your time today. Yeah, of course, Jay. Thanks for having me on. And, and hopefully your listeners got something out of it. So I, I appreciate you and, uh, and yeah, best of luck to the team this season. Thanks man. Well, appreciate it. We'll be in touch real soon, Mike. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. And a huge thanks to Altus's Mike Boykin for sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, so open and honest, he's talking about the mistakes he made. I mean, it's just fantastic that we have coaches out there so willing and so open and so candid to share the pros and the cons. I can't thank Mike enough for being so open, honest, and candid with what we were talking about today. Absolutely fantastic stuff. I really hope you guys took something from it. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.